The Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by uh, Roger Welsh. Uh, we're going to be looking at mission in the community. Uh, Roger has served Merlin Rise Church near Epsom Down, Surrey, for 35 years. Just starting his retirement, that'll ex it'll explain where he's exactly at uh, in a minute. <laughs> and also in the room is Rob Stevens on the pastoral team at Bookham Baptist Church and looking at uh, local mission as part of his sabbatical. Uh, and he's helped form some of the questions. And, and Rob was out, actually a youth worker at Merlin Rise during Roger's time, so they know each other uh, very well. So, uh, Roger, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and Merlin Rise, <coughs> first of all. Okay, well, uh, I'm from North Devon originally, kind of proud of that. I became a Christian when I was aged 14 in a Brethren coffee bar that was linked to the 1966 Billy Graham Earl's Court Crusade. I became a history teacher, went to the University of Kent where I met my wife, uh, Diane, became a history teacher in uh, grammar school and then trained for ministry with the Evangelical Movement of Wales. I spent two years as an assistant pastor at Hook in Surrey with Brian Edwards and then went to Merlin Rise at the beginning of the 80s and have been there until a month ago. Well, I'm on a retirement sabbatical, so when I finally retire in January, it'll be in the week that I complete 36 years there. My word. So, um, uh, you know, obviously the inevitable question, which you must must receive so often, I don't know what you say when people say so, why, why one place so long? And it's the classic question, but we've got yeah. to ask it. Okay. Um, well, first of all, just a little word on Merlin Rise, which helps, I think, oh. uh, explain it. Um, the church was founded in the early 50s on a, and it is, um, an estate that was one of these post-war small overspill estates from Merton, Mitcham, Sutton, places like that. Opened a building in 1967 um, and has just opened a brand new building to replace it, my last act, before retiring. Um, so the work is on an estate, and I believe that in itself indicates, uh, uh, I, th I think estate work takes some time to do. You can't just kind of flip in and out of an estate as you might do in some other communities. But why was I there? So, so that's a part of the reason why I was there so long. When I was 20, a college principal told me I lacked ambition. So maybe that's another reason why I was there <laughs> so long. Um, there's always been a reason to stay, in my opinion. Um, even when I've been invited by others to leave, uh, Dan and I felt we should stay. Uh, I think communities that lack identity and our community on the Tabworth Estate, as it's sometimes called, um, has been known for lacking real feature and identity. I think they need key people, and I believe pastors among those key people, who commit to stay and get embedded in a community. And you can't do that in a short time. You almost need a generation in which to do that. Um, one of my, another reason is that one of my colleagues uh, said to me at the opening of our building a couple of weeks ago, he said, let's face it, you've actually only ever been part-time here. <laughs> because the church has been very generous in allowing me to be away doing other things. And I think that has kept me refreshed and engaged. Uh, so I was always bringing back new things from other places I was working in. And I think that helped sustain me as well over a longer period of time. But I think the most important reason is that I do see Christian ministry fundamentally as a place of service. Um, and so it's service rather than just leadership. 
and it's calling before career. And so when people talk these days about ministry as a career, I kind of find that difficult to really engage with because to me I was called to do what I've done. So, so your model model for ministries is, yeah. is a little different, I suppose, at a base level, from from maybe people who are graduating today from theological college. I think it might be. I think it might be. Um, I I minor on leadership rather than major on it. Um, the way I see it, and I realise not many of my colleagues see it this way, I see that we are called to serve. That as we serve, we discover more about the gifts that we have. And those gifts may lead us into expressing some kind of leadership and influence. Um, And depending on the gift and the level of it, the more leadership and influence you might exert. Uh, But it begins for me with service, not with a concept of being a leader. And I believe the leadership takes care of itself. I've read read lots of books on leadership, uh, but, but my model is to be a servant among people who serve. And I believe God takes care of how that turns out in terms of leadership and influence. Yeah. But I realize it's not a normal. Well, but so, I mean, you know, leadership yeah. by position is, yeah. is, is, a, is a challenge because people just feel obliged to follow because it's yeah. the role, yeah. but actually there's something powerful going on when you're leading yeah. through service. Yeah, mm. it means you're modeling. It means you're modeling all the time. Mm. Roger, what, what yeah. kind of form um, did that service take um, over the years, maybe give us uh, some examples of of how you see serving in that like, kind of local community. Okay, um, for me or for church or for you? okay, yeah. uh, for me it means you get engaged in the way that you would expect other church members to be engaged. That you don't sit apart in your study. Um, you actually engage. So when Dan and I arrived at Mellonrise, we asked each other the question: What do we have to bring to this community? And for both of us, our experience in the workplace was in education. Um, And so um, we took the opportunity to get involved in the local school. As parents first, I became a parent governor uh, in my third year, I guess, and served as a governor until the end of this summer term. So I served for 34 years as a governor in my local primary school, 19 of those as chair uh, in the middle section. Uh, Diane uh, eventually became special needs coordinator in the school and served in that role for 27 years. So we got engaged in that way, in a place where we felt was our obvious place of service. And now um, the church has a large number of people serving in education in the community. We also, I also got involved in, um, some would say the local politics, but it wasn't politics. It's just wherever possible, meeting with other people working in the community to ask questions about the community, to try to improve the resourcing of the community to see socio-economic uplift across the board. So whether it's working with a local housing trust or with a local council or with people like um, the charities for the age, for old age people, um, wherever it is, engaging with others who are working in the community to try to bring change and, and to see that not just as something the church does, but as something that the church does um, sometimes itself, like running food banks or debt counselling or whatever, sometimes engaged in partnership with others. Uh, for us recently, that's meant working with a local housing trust in digital education, uh, uh, computing courses for older people, um, or whether it's uh, uh, actually just working alongside 
those people in committees round tables to see change. We've had a long-standing relationship with the council and others to bring about what was termed a regeneration project locally. And the church was, everyone knows, front and central to that process uh, through about a 15-year period. So it's that kind of uh, um, embedding people and church in the life of what is, in the end, a small, fairly isolated in, in social and economic terms, uh, housing estate, which itself has changed through those years. It no longer looks like it did even 10 years ago. Uh, and your approach to being a pastor and leader mm. during that time, 35 years? I mean, did, did, were there many changes? Yeah, I, I, uh, it's, it, I think in some ways I'm only just beginning to reflect <laughs> on it because I've been doing it. Mm. But there have been significant changes. And I, I, I think I can isolate one or two. Uh, I mean, one, for example, would be the development of small groups in the life of the church. This will be almost universally the case, that the development of small groups has encouraged broader leadership and involvement in the church, um, has changed uh, where some of the pastoral work is done. And so the, the pastor's role on the ground does change to being much more involved with others who are doing the pastoral care rather than doing it all. But I, but I would always say to anybody, I believe someone who's called to be the pastor, like the lead elder, whatever they're doing, in the end is responsible for the pastoral care in the church. And uh, I don't even believe we should delegate it. I believe we should share it. And and just give us uh, some of the highs yeah. and lows numerically of the church at that time, when you, when you yeah. first arrived. Okay. Um, when I arrived, um, it was a church. Uh, my first Sunday was, we used to have campaigners, a uniform movement. My first Sunday was a parade and the church was fairly full because the church had actively somewhere just under 40 members a few more on paper but perhaps 30 to 40 members and an adult congregation of about that number but in midweek uh, from the community about another hundred children participating in church life so when it came to parade services church filled with that and some of the parents coming sometimes um, through the 80s and 90s the whole balance changed I think in the 80s adult wise we just about trebled um, certainly in membership terms, we went through the 100 up to 130 and we reached sun Sunday mornings uh, approaching 200 in the building, which was too many. Um, we then tried to plant um, and uh, so some went out to plant and the I tried to oversee both congregations and I don't think that worked at all well. And so the church that had uh, in the plant, the, the strategic error was that all the teenagers went with their youth leaders into the plant and the the mother church like the original church took a very long time to recover and so the early 90s were not great time for the church and so I think we slipped back um, the church now has got um, somewhere near the same number of members it had at that peak at the end of the 80s and I guess we say we care for about 200 people wow. um, but the number of young people from the community who are engaged is much fewer. Our young people's work is mainly church families. There are some in our urban saints work, there are some, but they've been numbered in tens rather than a hundred plus. Um, on a given Sunday, if you get two thirds of the people these sure. days, you've done well. Yeah, yeah, sure. We used to get 80% most Sundays. Yeah. Now the number is bigger, but the congregations don't look all that much bigger because two thirds would be a good sure. Sunday. And people, I used to think of twice as 
as people, yes. my tradition, people who came twice on a Sunday were twice as. Yes, yes. Twice a month now would be quite <laughs> normal. <laughs> well, you're listening to Leadership Car with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Roger Welsh, who's uh, served Merlin Rice Church near Epsom Downs for 30, coming up to 36 years. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Roger Welsh. Roger has served Merlin Rice Church uh, near Epsom Downs coming up to 36 years. We're talking particularly about local mission uh, and his in a particular housing estate um, there in Surrey. Um, we were talking before the break of uh, you know some of the reasons uh, and you know uh, some of Roger's philosophy and ministry. Uh, so moving to some of the highs and lows of those years, um, you know, you were impacted by the Toronto Blessing, Roger. What was... We were, 1994. Right. Um, we heard pretty early that something was happening in Toronto. We actually had a visit in the February mm. from a man called John White, who was one of John Wimber's uh, sidekicks mm. by then. And uh, we had been strongly influenced in the middle and late 80s by John Wimber, courses, conferences, and all sorts of things. And so we were interested to hear what was going on when we then, a couple of months after John's visit, began to break through into the media uh, about things happening in Toronto. So like many British pastors, I got on a plane and went to Toronto and had a good week there, though I, I stayed away from the church and not in one of the hotels that was being used. And so I think I was not quite as cent you know, central mm. in the week as others were that week. Um, but we did see an impact in the church, uh, just in terms of uh, we began to open up our meetings, particularly Sunday evenings, special meetings. People came from other churches. Uh, we began to get used to meetings going on until 11 p.m., midnight, having nights in the week when we were gathering. People being blessed, um, encouraged. Uh, some people would, would today, uh, their, their testimony would be that their lives were significantly and permanently enriched and changed through that process. Very few people were saved. And like in any high tide, uh, high tides throw up rubbish on the shore. And Toronto threw up rubbish on our shore and gave us pastoral issues that we'd never had to deal with before. Right, right. Um, this is a radio program, so I'm not going to go into no, the sure. detail because no, some people may be listening. Obviously, just for listeners, the yeah. Toronto blessing was uh, an out, God's outpouring. I think they call it the Father's blessing now. Um, yeah, they in, in, yeah. You know, that took place in Toronto Airport Christian yeah. Fellowship, as it was, or Toronto Vineyard. Yeah. Sorry, Toronto uh, Vineyard. As it was, and Toronto Airport, Airport okay. Christian Fellowship mm. as it is now, mm. um, and you know, and there's Catch the Fire um, churches around the world still, you know, yeah. still marked yeah. by that. And and it mainly impacted just the summer of '94. Mm. Though mm. what it did was to change many people's approach to ministry, the prayer ministry and services, and because of that, it, it rolled on. Um, I was at Spring Harvest in those days on the team every year. And certainly at Spring Harvest, it began to appear and we'd have after meetings and some of us assigned to it and so on. And for some churches, it permanently changed the way they worshipped and the way they conducted their, their praying with people. Um, and it changed even from where John Wimber had been, where you asked lots of questions of people before you pray with them, to simply laying hands on people and asking the Holy Spirit to come. And I think that has remained. Uh, we pulled back from some elements of it because I began to hear things from some of the leaders that theologically I was not comfortable with. Mm. And um, I, in a sense, it, 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 in terms of the high points and the number of people coming and the prayer and the people falling over and so on, it, it ended almost as quickly as it had started. Though we continue to pray with people and occasionally we see some of the phenomena 
associated with that Toronto blessing. What's extraordinary for some of us is that it is to think it is now over 20 years ago and most of the church, certainly Merlin Rise, most of the church had no idea what it was. And the church building, moving on to yeah. that, you, you just you said that your last act has been... <laughs> yeah, see the church building opened. The deal I had with the elders was that I opened, that we finish the church and go. Uh, for the very good reason that um, a pastor inevitably puts a footprint on a church in the way it's used, the things that are done in the building, and we didn't want that I should do that, and I agreed with that. It's about a 15-year process. The old church building was opened in 67. We thought it was great, but it was missable by a lot of people. Uh, even you, Andy, may have driven past it without knowing it was there in yes. your younger day. <laughs> uh, so Tatton Corner Free Church. Tatton Corner Evangelical Free Church Evangelical in Free Merlin Church. Rise. Yes. We changed the name to Merlin Rise Church for two reasons back in just after the turn of the century. One was it's not at Tattenham Corner, it's half a mile from Tattenham Corner and people couldn't find us. And the second was Tattenham Corner Evangelical Free Church was just a mouthful yes. and gave certain expectations. Yeah. And Merlin Rise Church simply says it's a church in this street for anybody who wants to come. Mm. And we are from all kinds of Christian backgrounds. We started to talk together about the need for a new building. Uh, we had a little go in the 80s and, and then decided to put our money into people rather than property and to use other local buildings for Sunday school and things like that. But by the turn of the century, it had come back again. The building was beginning to show its age, a 1960s building, a great achievement by those who were in the church at the time with little money, but the, the building was aging and it was no longer fit for purpose. So we began to pray and uh, there was a regeneration project developing locally, so we talked to everybody else. We talked to the local council. At one stage, we were even considering going in together into a project, but then they found some more money to use for their projects. And uh, also, we felt we needed our own building still. So by about 2010-11, we were firmly fixed. We were going to redevelop. Uh, and the church decided uh, by 2012 to do that. And... Um, we had also, in the goodness of God, we had some money. We had two legacies, one from a couple, both of whom were front and centre in the life of the church, who died both of cancer far too young. And then from uh, an anonymous one uh, that was held for us by our uh, Fellowship of Churches, the FIEC, which we believe came from a founding member, but we, it was anonymous, but we believe we know who it was. And that money, uh, those two legacies, would amount to about 40% of the rebuild cost. We thought that was an indication from the law that we should get serious sure, about it. Sure. So in 2013, we, had a, we were committed by now to building. Uh, we employed architects, drew up plans, then had a gift day. And um, from, that, from the money given on that day and the promises made on that day, all of which have now been fulfilled, another 40% became available. And the, the sale of property has been the last step. So by the time the property sale is concluded, by which we think will be by November, December, uh, the church will be free of debt, paid for, Wonderful. which is fantastic. Nice. And and it, for us, it was a fulfillment also of what we believe the Lord said to us as a generation of leaders that we must not pass on the debt to the next generation of leaders who are already coming into place. Uh, but they must have the building fit for the mission of the church mm. in the community in the next couple of generations mm. without cost. So so your thoughts mm. on on the mission of mm. the church in that 36 years? I mean, you talked about involvement yeah. in schools yeah. um, and in other, other community-type projects and in engaging with people mm. locally. 
um, you know, as leaders are listening and thinking, hang on, what can I pick up? What yes. words of wisdom? What would you say? Okay, okay. Um, I have taught, um, we're not visual, but I've got five fingers on my <laughs> four, four fingers and a thumb. And uh, those five digits are for me five teaching points on our local mission. Now, uh, Rob will have heard this. Um, some of the many at the church have heard it. I've discovered that not many remember it very well, but uh, but I would hope people could describe it, even if they couldn't do it in my preacher's five points. So this is the way I believe we've gone about the mission. Um, first of all, we have tried to engage the community at its point of need. And over the 30 odd years, that the what we have done has changed. So today it's very much focused on things like computer education, food bank, uh, money management, art classes, all sorts of things like that. But over the years, it's been different things. That's the, the what we've engaged in as a church in the community to get alongside people where they are, to make friendships and to serve them according to need. Then secondly, uh, we have tried to um, engage with others, to partner with others in doing it, whether it's the local housing association, the social housing provider, the local council, other churches, other Christian organisations. We tried to partner with other people to do what we did not have the capacity to do by ourselves. And sometimes that's been with people who are not Christians in order to achieve social and economic goals for the well-being of people mm -hmm. in the community. Thirdly, we've tried to put Christians, to encourage Christians into serving in the community, whether as volunteers in old age clubs, um, various sort of charities and so on, uh, local youth service, though that's not always been very successful, uh, and being employed in the local community. So Christians strategically on the front line, every you know where it, where it really matters to witness with consistent lives. Um, the challenge of that is Christians must live consistent lives in the community if they're going to work in it. They've got to be consistent in their Christian living. Fourthly, we've done straightforward evangelism out in the community, door to door, distribution of materials. Um, we've distributed other things like harvest goods and all those kind of things. But but just door to door, even in the last year or two, we've restarted street work. And I, I didn't see how that could possibly work. But there's a group of people including my associate, who said, we want to get on the streets, just walk the streets of the estate and meet people. And my emphasis has always been, we, we build relationships and friendships. Mm. Uh, but but we have seen people come into church now no, no. from from this street, which I thought was yesterday's way of doing things, stranger evangelism, you know. But it's been quite effective and they've prayed and prayed for the people they've met on the streets. And then fifthly, finally, we invite people into things. But it is the fifth thing. It's not the first thing. Right. Yeah. We invite people into courses like Alpha, the Journeys course about to start. We invite them into special events and we will increasingly invite them into the building in this new building with the things that are going on being put on with this new great facility we've got. So fivefold, really. I mean, time has almost mm. defeated us. Yeah. Rob, anything to add particularly? I was just the, do you think into the future those values mm. will hold? Uh, for the church, mm. those values and no permission. Um, friend of mine, in pastor of another church, said to me a year or two ago, and we'd done some stuff together. He said, "Well, tell me what you do in the community." So I told him what we did in the community, and he said, "Ah, yeah." He said, "That's okay." He said, "But we prefer to stick to the gospel." Sort of a silence across the table, as I said, "Well, what is that then?" Because as far as I can see, uh, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, 
sitting alongside the grieving, uh, being with the lonely is uh, a, an integral part of telling people about Jesus and about his love and his care and his sacrificial uh, life and the work of the cross for us as sinners. So I, I believe those values have to hold in a community. C community, I think, I think a state work will get more difficult. People, one of the things about the new building already is that one or two Christian families in our community who've been traveling away to church are now coming into this church, drawn simply by the big new building. And that's great because as far as I'm concerned, if they live in the community, I would like them to worship and serve in the community, not just be known as people who get in their car on a Sunday and in the week and drive miles to church. And and because of the community, and people are obviously more mobile and that challenges this kind of ministry. Uh, but I think the values have to hold. Uh, and it, it may be um, that it continues to be the elderly and the young families who are the main focus of that ministry because those in the middle, the working population, are more, more mobile. They, they see community differently. Their community is where they have where they're part of a uh, sports centre uh, or some other club they're in, and it takes them away from where they're domiciled. Uh, but I believe it's crucial in reaching a nation that we are in touch on the ground with people where they live and knowing their needs. So I pray that the values will hold, but I do think they'll be increasingly challenged as time goes by, and particularly because one of the biggest problems in, uh, increasing in ministry is that one of the biggest changes is that locally you have to face the fact that people know less and less about what the Christian gospel actually is. Well, you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Roger Welsh, uh, who's uh, served Merlin Rice Church near Epsom Downs in Surrey for 30, coming up to 36 years. And thanks too to Rob Stevens, uh, who was a youth worker during that time. He's now on sabbatical looking at local mission and uh, and grateful for his input into this uh, show. Do uh, log on to Premier's website and uh, listen to archived versions of the Leadership Volume. Go to iTunes and listen back to the back catalogue as well. Look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.